think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, welcome to episode five of the Boys in Short Pants, the sixth episode. Uh, this week we've we've got a little bit of a of a taster menu for you. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, cabinet committees and Canadian American relations. Uh, just taking into uh, two things uh, in the news recently for for a variety of reasons. We want to talk a little bit about the state of the conservative leadership race. Uh, so a couple updates. We want to talk about the beginning, finally, of the NDP leadership race, and uh, also. Once again, an update on the story that never dies, uh, the billionaire island caper. Yeah, the ethics commissioner is the story that really keeps on giving. Now, at this point, we pretty much feel obligated to keep I, covering oh, so, it. You it, know, we, yeah. It feels, uh, it feels wrong to forget <laughs> updates on it. I was like, do we want to, co- do we want to keep covering this? We, we have to we at this point. We may as well, we're, yeah. We're way too far committed. Mary Dawson's having some fun with her last year. Uh, okay, so we want, first of all, we want to talk about um, a little bit about cabinet and how cabinet works, because uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about doesn't make sense unless you have an understanding of that. So cabinet, as most people know, is picked from within the government caucus of the House of Commons, with a couple exceptions. Sometimes there'll be a handful of senators in, in caucus or in uh, cabinet. Yep. Uh, the last government, Harper's government, had a, had a few senators in there. This government's taking a bit of a different tack in that there are no senators formally in cabinet, though there is a government representative in the Senate. Yeah, who's rumored to effectively sit in on yeah. cabinet meetings. He's and... a smart guy, wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, he probably has a fair bit to offer, but he doesn't formally sit in any cabinet committees. Correct. And that brings us to the, the meat of this, which is uh, cabinet committees. Um, traditionally... Canadian governments have had sort of dual track ministries and they've had like senior ministers and what's called ministers of state, which are kind of the, the junior ones. Um, and traditionally those have been stuff like status of women or... Uh, Electoral reform, small business and tourism. Yeah. These are ones, uh, seniors, sport. There was heaps of them under uh, the Harper government. Yeah, and now they've officially gotten rid of ministers of state, but there are still, you know, like identifiably junior ministries. And in fact, when the cabinet was initially first announced, they were still formally listed as uh, ministers of state, as yeah. I recall. Yeah, I think it's interesting to talk about why the ministries of state were formally abolished. And it's because when uh, Trudeau put together his gender balance cabinet, someone looked at the gender balance cabinet and said, wait right. a sec, yeah. the women are disproportionately in junior portfolios. And the junior portfolios, the ministries of state, came with a lower pay scale. And so the women equal in his pay gen- for equal work. Yeah. <laughs> the women in his gender balanced cabinet were both more junior and were paid less. Yeah. And so about a year later they promised to amend this as soon as it was pointed out. And about a year later, they eventually got around to changing uh, how the uh, portfolios were integrated in government and they became full fledged members, even though arguably they're still junior ministries because they don't have the department to back them up. There right. is no Department of Democratic Reform. The Department of uh, uh, Women's... Status of Women? Status, yes. Sorry, Status of Women is like not even remotely comparable to HRSDC or Justice or, justice or Public Safety. Like yeah. They're just worlds apart. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to kind of the, the structure of cabinet itself. Sorry, we've got an emergency going on outside there. Uh, the structure of cabinet itself. So cabinet's traditionally broken up into different committees. Uh, the number is basically totally up to the prime minister, as is their membership. Uh, Jean Chrétien, for example, had just two. Uh, 
social union and economic union as well as treasury board which is we don't really count because treasury board is actually like required you need to have a treasury board yeah uh is that constitutional like yeah british, I think british it's, north america I think Act? It's in statute yeah. yeah so that's the one you need and that's basically the one that controls spending so it's actually quite important um stephen harper had quite a few as i recall I don't know if I'd call it quite a few. Um, more than Cretan. <laughs> more, more than Cretan, for sure. I think what's interesting when you talk about Stephen Harper and uh, a cabinet committees is everyone has this opinion or this image of Stephen Harper as being very dominant yeah. and sort of controlling government, where a lot of the work and the agenda in government is set through cabinet committees. Right. And Harper actually sat in on very few of the cabinet committees. Uh, to my knowledge, the only real one, the main one he sat in on, uh, along with full cabinet, which is... It, it, Rarely it, actually meets, right? It, yeah, it only met like once a month in, uh, to do appointments. But the main one he sat in on was priorities and planning. Right. Which was sort of the rubber, not really rubber stamping, but it was the approval of all the other things. Yeah. In the hierarchy, all the other cabinets would flow into priorities and planning. Sure. And he wouldn't take part in the discussions that occurred in some of the other cabinet committees such as Social Affairs Committee, um, Foreign Affairs. Um, he just wasn't wasn't present. He delegated this. Yeah. And actually, uh, the Conservative government had a really interesting mechanism where proposals to cabinet committees, which is basically the... Stru- yeah, sorry, we're getting really deep dive into how government actually works here. But uh, if you're a minister and you want to put something on the agenda, you prepare a memorandum to cabinet, yep. which typically is prepared by both you know, your political staff and your departmental staff. Yeah, called an MC. Yeah, um, which is pretty sweet. Um, and uh, once you have that, you then present it, you know, and, and people, you know, give their opinions on it within cabinet, and it moves forward or doesn't, sort of depending. Uh, but one thing the Harper government had was your memorandum of cabinet had to have a section where it said basically, like, I consulted caucus on this, and you had to sign off on it, and actually genuinely did have to consult with the conservative caucus on a lot of issues before making an MC about it. Yeah, so this is called the MCAC, uh, which stands for, like, Members Caucus Advisory Committee or some, something along those lines. It's called the MCAC process. And the MCAC process, uh, my historical facts here are a little shaky because it predates me. Um, but I think it came in about 2011, 2012. And if I recall... It was so once after, they had the majority government? It was, that makes sense. It was No, but it wasn't because of that. I think it came after Rathgaber. Oh. Was... Okay, that makes uh, sense. After Brent Rathgaber, who was a conservative MP from... Edmonton. I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, St. Albert, Sherwood Park. I can never remember which one's which. St. Albert, yeah. St. Albert. Um, after he left because his bill was neutered, and he uh, started bringing up a lot of problems with how backbenchers were treated and yeah. making a lot of noise about that. It definitely wasn't wrong. And so the response was to say, how can we bring backbenchers sort of deeper into the legislative process? Yeah. And this is something that like hardly anyone knows about. And it was considered like pretty revolutionary yeah, in terms I'm... of... Uh, given, their, given their public image, I'm surprised they didn't make more of this. It's just such a process story that no one yeah. is... You, but then you, again, Harper got killed on the process stories all the time. You can, but good process stories yeah. are hard to sell as opposed to bra- bad process stories. There is no way you're going to convince an NDP uh, member who thinks Harper is an absolute dictator... That Harper is, in fact, delegated well, yeah, power no, in an incredibly unique way. You're not going to convince the NDP MP, but you might convince a journalist or, you know, the, the guy I sitting mean, on his couch at home. It just doesn't fit the narrative, right? It's contrary to the but, narrative. You know, it's process. It's 
complicated to explain because then you have to explain everything we've explained. That is true. Today. That's a good point. <laughs> like, how are you going to fit this into your article? How are you going to explain how an MCAC rolls into the process? Yeah. It's just, it's incomprehensible to the average person. Fair enough. But it was, I, and credit where credit's due, that that was a good measure uh, in, uh, in Harper's government, which... To my knowledge, Trudeau's government anymore. doesn't do. Which, uh, I mean, is They fair. may have other mechanisms that are less formalized. Harper had a love of formality and a paper trail and a sort of paper flow that actually is fantastic if you're a political scientist or someone who studies Canadian institutions because it's it's all there in writing and uh, very easy to follow. In 20 to 30 years when Library and Archives opens up their vault and... For ministerial papers, that'll be old, good. wise, and gray, then yeah. there will be a lot of stuff to go through. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, so Trudeau's cabinet committees, we just wanted to talk uh, about the new one, uh, Canada-United States relations. Um, they ha It's one of their, their 11. Uh, it's actually, it's, it's an interesting mix of people. It's chaired by Mark Garneau, who's the transportation minister, former astronaut, uh, vice chaired by Ralph Goodale, who's the public safety minister, uh, just sort of regional minister for Saskatchewan and all but name. Uh, and then an interesting mix of people, uh, of interesting mix of seniority, uh, Bardish Chagger, Karine Gould, or Karina rather, uh, Ahmed Hussain, a bunch of people who either are very new to cabinet or very new to like uh, portfolios. Yeah, I mean, the three you named there are the three newest ministers in the government. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you've got very senior people like Catherine McKenna, Harjit Sajjan, um, and then yeah, Ralph Goodale and Mark Garneau, who have all been around for either all been around for a while or are in very senior portfolios. Uh, so we want to talk a little bit about that just because of the, the context now. They, they've been having meetings with the Trump administration or various officials within it, sort of counterpart to counterpart. What can you tell me about Trudeau's handshake ability? Oh, God damn it. I didn't even look at the damn handshake. I don't care about this shit anymore. <laughs> it's, it's there like, were multiple handshakes for the entire country to analyze. Yeah, I, I did like how there's the, the one picture going out on Twitter, you know, of him kind of looking skeptically at, at Trump's hand. And then, of course, like... No one posts like the eighty pictures of and you know we we, we talked about this on Twitter last night, but uh, Paul Wells like absolutely roasted people for making the exact same point I did. I think it was the NDP press secretary. It was the NDP that press got secretary. Roasted. Yeah, he got roasted for hard, though, insinuating man. there was a Canadian government conspiracy or a Canadian media conspiracy to not publish the picture of them shaking hands. I did see the picture of them not shaking hands a lot more than the other one, but I mean it's fair. It's yeah. a it's a more compelling picture. It tells more fits interesting the narrative. story. It fits the narrative. Uh, Regardless of narrative, it's just, it's a hilarious picture, and that's going to be the one that, like... Yeah. It was funny, admittedly. Uh, also, the picture of, like, Ivanka Trump looking at Trudeau with, like, substantial thirst. Yeah, the thirsty eyes. Yeah, it was yeah, uh, pretty I, funny. Yeah, that was on the front page of Reddit here today. Yeah, that was very funny. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that cabinet committee. It's uh, surprisingly, like, it's, it's an interesting mix, and it'll be interesting to kind of follow its work and see how it, it works over the next couple of years and whether or not it stays around afterwards, which it might. Um, yeah, I think I think the existence of the cabinet committee was a bit of you could call it the reaction or the response of the government. Yeah. To the uncertainties that Trump represents. Well, remember, like the the branding of the cabinet shuffle was retooling for the Trump era, right? Yeah, um, I was never sure if that was the uh, PMO branding or the media branding. I always yeah. felt like that was more of the media narrative. Um, but here is a concrete measure that's absolutely not media narrative. It's very deliberately. And a lot of the ministers on this uh, committee were the ones accompanying Trump, or sorry, accompanying Trudeau for the uh, for the meeting yesterday. Yeah, yeah. As well as doing some of the pre-meetings in the week beforehand. Right, because Harjit Sajjan had that talk with Mattis. There, there was a couple yeah. bilateral meetings with yeah. their counterparts, and then it all sort of culminated in the meeting with Trump yesterday. Right. 
Which, by all accounts, was only slightly awkward. Only slightly awkward, mostly considered successful. I haven't seen too much complaining or too much yeah. criticism of it. I mean, people are saying, you know, he couldn't have criticized him. I'm not sure how true that actually is, but, you know, I, I guess not to his face. But, you know, uh, I, I will note just on a broader note of Canadian-American relations, I get the feeling that Canada is going to be attempted to be pulled into some pretty unsavory directions by the new administration to do some not super great things. We'll see. Such as, do you care to speculate? Uh, I honestly, I don't know, bombing Iran, that kind of thing. Um, hopefully we'll have a prime minister that has a, at least as much backbone as Jean Chrétien for, you know, uh, basically the long and short of it is Canada can actually afford to stand up to the U.S. more than I, it, it thinks it can. Uh, it, it's like, it'll be fine if Trudeau doesn't go along with everything Trump wants to do. So. I mean, that's, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of the unit or of Canada getting pulled into wars at the behest of the United States. I think, frankly, at, at this point, that Trump is having enough trouble managing his own administration. It does seem that way, not, yeah. Not to mention, uh, not to mention opening, you know, conflicts intentionally as as a war would be. Um, that in in terms of the relationship, I think things are basically going to be on cruise control. Yeah, well, it's it's less less wars really than you know the sort of problems we've already seen over the last couple of weeks with with immigration and, and refugees and uh yeah but not many of those inherently implicate canada i think it's the united states own yeah well i mean as we saw we had like 20 people cross the border in manitoba and another several quebec. in quebec yeah. yeah uh so figuring out what and you know it's kind of sad that we're in a situation where refugees are fleeing the united states and into canada over land it's kind of sad but um yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of how that develops, and hopefully that won't be a problem, but I'm not hopeful enough to think that it won't be in the future, unfortunately. I have a little optimism. Yeah. Um, it's Valentine's Day. You have, to, you have to have some optimism for the world. Is, that's like the least optimistic holiday of all time. Are you kidding? I mean, I'm not single in a bar drinking myself to sleep. So. No, instead we're just hit, sitting here drinking and recording a podcast. <laughs> it's way better. <laughs> Uh, so a little update on the conservative leadership race. Uh, there's been a little bit of a kerfuffle over the last uh, week and a half, maybe. Do week? tell me. Week and a half. Yeah, M103 is a is a motion brought forward um, by Liberal MP Ikra Khalid. I'm probably really butchering that name. Apologies. Uh, about uh, motion condemning Islamophobia. So yeah. simple enough. Uh, the other part of it is to study uh, Islamophobia and as well as. Uh, other forms of religious discrimination. Okay. In uh, I believe through Heritage Committee. Oh, that's pretty all like it's pretty broad then. Yeah, I mean yeah. committees study things like this all the time. Okay, so it's it's kicked off a bit of um, a kerfuffle. A kerfuffle in uh, the conservative leadership race, uh, fairly predictably, <laughs> frankly, about <laughs> you know this is an assault on free speech and uh, that kind of thing. Um, personally, I think it's pretty disappointing, uh, if not. At all surprising, uh, the, t to some people's credit, like Michael Chong, uh, he's come out pretty forcefully saying like this is this is fine. And while he did, you know, he has some problems with with hate speech legislation, that's best addressed through its own avenue, and that he'd be supporting this motion. Whereas you have some people like Maxime Bernier who basically did like the opposite. 
where <laughs> just like I'm a libertarian, but and I don't like this. Yeah. So the criticism of it has really been centered around sort of two components. Yeah, I don't really get it, honestly. But let me let me try my best to explain it to you and our listeners. The criticism has been centered around two different components. The first being freedom of speech, and the second one has been uh, the specification of Islamophobia over you know anti-semitism or all, re- any, or all religions matter any other <laughs> that's actually pretty close to uh, that's pretty close to summing up the stance or the perspective being taken on this um is saying why islamophobia and not anti-semitism right and the pushback on this is well listen we're picking one to highlight yeah but ultimately we want to study them all yeah and the best way i've ever heard this phrase was like save the rainforest what you don't care about the trees in north america (laughs) (laughs) no we want to we want to save all the trees but like yeah well the rainforest especially right now is having some trouble we're no strangers to that kind of that kind of thing in the ndp but usually it's about like literal rainforests rather than interestingly the uh so to push back on the ndp perspective here or sorry wait let me explain the free speech angle first sure the free speech angle is perhaps the less credible of the two arguments. Uh, a lot of people seem to be conflating, uh, particularly in Twitter commentators, seem to be conflating the motion with a bill. Yeah. Motions are not uh, binding. Yeah. They don't have any force of law. The study done by the Heritage Committee will have no force of law. Right. If, no study does. No. I mean. <laughs> like, it's, it's not... There is no binding anything to it. It will literally yeah. mean that MPs will call witnesses, they'll write a 100-page document about religious discrimination in Canada today, and it'll have a couple recommendations. And maybe those will go somewhere, maybe they won't, yeah. but it, it doesn't change anything. Right, yeah, motions speech. are basically the House of Commons saying, or the Senate, saying, you know, we like or don't like this thing. And with no money or force of law attached to it. To be fair, and to push back on the NDP here, the NDP and uh, Thomas Mulcair, in particular, made a very similar argument uh, as is being now made by Maxim Bernier against uh, a similar motion that was advanced by the Conservatives earlier, not this, I say this year in terms of like sure. a, a full year, yeah. um, on a boycott divestment sanction. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. That their reasoning on that very closely mirrors what the conservative reasoning was yeah. in terms of it. So there's problems from all sides here, um, but this rising as a point of contention within the conservative leadership. To, I think uh, has a lot leadership more to do with the sort of latent Islamophobia in uh, a lot of conservative politics right now. Yeah, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely an issue where yeah. understanding this perspective. Creeping Sharia, <laughs> they're coming for your kids, folks. Creeping, creeping Sharia, goblins. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's trying to walk a fine line, and at the end of the day, they're all politicians, right? Yeah. So this is politicians being politicians. Yeah, I suppose so. I, do you do you know what O'Leary's uh, has he said anything about this? I honestly, I don't think he has. I'm yeah, not this, sure this... he's aware of its existence. The nuances of parliamentary. Not uh, that he has to vote for it either way, I suppose, because yeah. he's an MP. But yeah. Nor is taking a stance on something like this his. If I were to guess, I would say O'Leary would be against it. He has been pretty liberal on uh, sort of these social policy questions. Yeah. 
Um, but so. he's he's also projecting tough guy. For yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but he, he's not taking. He's like his background is partially Lebanese. Yeah, that's true. Eh? Like he would be our first. I, I put as, he, as he put it, our he, first Lebanese prime minister. As he put it, uh, if they had, if Canada had put up walls, then I wouldn't have been. He, he wouldn't have been yeah. there. Yeah. So, so two weeks before that, he said, "Hail King Trump! The next four years are going to be great." He's uh, he's an interesting blend. He's a man between, of, man of contrasts. You man of say. contrast, an inter- interesting blend between business and uh, business and fairly liberal social policies. So. He's uh, quite the enigma in the conservative race, and that's why a lot of conservatives are trying their damnedest to brand him as a liberal in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Or in wolf's... Sheep. Yeah, yeah, no, sheep. I'm gonna say I'm going to say sheep in wolf's clothing. Oh, I see. Okay, clever. <laughs> I'm going to flip that one on you. Speaking of leadership races, uh, the NDP has officially... has a candidate now. Has it? I didn't know. I mean, there had been a Sherry DeNovo's... Had you sort of interesting flirtation with candidacy uh, last summer? Charlie Angus has been a registered. Charlie Angus has, for I think, a week or sorry, well, a not officially. Yeah, or he, rather, he, he is, is officially, official. but not publicly. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. but not literally. Yeah, maybe. pretty much, right? Like he's basically uh, to um, elections Canada. He's a candidate, but to no one else, uh, which is interesting. But no, uh, Peter Julian announced formally he on, did. on Sunday that he's running for the NDP leadership race. Um, Peter Julian it was caucus chair until quite recently. He was house leader in uh, in official opposition, uh, as well as some other critic portfolios. He, he was considered close to Mulcair, and I think he probably wouldn't contest that. Uh, I would always considered him broadly centrist uh, within the party. Yeah. Uh, he came out pretty hard, though, on Sunday, uh, talking about uh, ending homelessness and uh, getting rid of tuition fees as two of his, his broad sort of planks. His website was vaguer. As I've heard, yeah, um, but that those were in his press conference what he talked about. His press conference is interesting though because it was uh, he had it in New Westminster where he's an MP in BC, uh, and it was fairly sparsely attended, 150, which isn't you know an enormous launch. And apparently there were no other MPs there, uh, maybe a handful of BC MLAs and a city councillor or two. One one BC MLA city councillor, no one from big labor unions. So for someone who's considered quite close to Mulcair and sort of seemed like the, natu- like the natural heir, uh, he didn't seem to really launch with much of a boom. So that's that's interesting and I think upsets a bit of the sort of commonplace that um, Mulcair is still quite popular with NDP members, if not the voting delegates at the last convention. Yeah, Peter Julian's start here has been, I mean, my takeaway from it is a little rocky. Um, yeah, he seems. hasn't really like being the first one in the race gives you a good opportunity to fundraise to get support before anyone else is on board. Yeah, to you know make promises for the early supporters, and he's come out with none of that. He's basically come out with a whimper. Um, it hasn't got much traction. It was barely in the news. You could be forgiven for not realizing this race had started. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like it hasn't really been covered all that much. And fr- it was on a Sunday, which is a bit of an odd day to announce something. Frankly, maybe. what I think is interesting is in at roughly the same time, uh, Jagmeet uh, Singh had his uh, GQ article oh, yeah. published. Yeah, so, a little earlier in the weekend, but yeah. Yeah, so Jagmeet is a NDP Ontario uh, MPP. Yeah, and deputy leader. And deputy Ontario leader, Ontario. and yeah. he's largely considered to be one of the potential front runners and potential candidates in the federal race. Yeah, 
and uh, he dresses really well. He does dress really well. Mm-hmm. Every or every this has become uh, something of an annoyance to me. Go ahead. Is that uh, I I have nothing against Jagmeet Singh. I've met him once. He seemed like a nice enough guy. Um, I am getting very very tired of all the coverage about his damn suits and about his car. Uh, What's his car? It's a nice car. It's a BMW Ooh. convertible. Ooh, Ooh yeah. where did him go? Yeah, you must like it, man. I mean, why is he not donating the extra money to? Uh, I uh, yeah, well, it's a good to uh, homeless orphanages no, and uh, riding his bicycle store. Well, you know, while while we're at it, we may as well we may we may as well uh, do the do the whole kickoff of the race. So so Jagmeet's saying, yeah, we, we've mentioned his background a little bit, and my annoyance with his sort of the relentlessly sartorial focus of his coverage. Um, good use of sartorial. There you go. Um, Put that master sword. So in in the past, he he's actually been quite an effective advocate for on several issues on civil rights, carding that sort of thing. He's he's been very good. Uh, been a big advocate for public auto insurance in Ontario. Very good. Uh, however, in the federal race so far, he's been a bit of a cipher. There really hasn't been a lot of, of policy ideas sort of floating. I mean, he's not officially a candidate yet. Yeah, so that's he's sort not of, running. That's fine. To... But no one I've really talked to has a great sense of where he's going to land because on the one hand, he does have this pretty solidly lefty record in the issues he's chosen to fight for in the past. But on the other hand, he has hired, for instance, uh, Mulcair's old campaign manager to be his campaign manager, uh, surrounding himself with some people. Is that, is that Nick Cavallos? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's not that uh, that transient. Uh, no, but some Mulcair folks, uh, which is interesting. So it seems like Jagmeet is going to be the sort of establishment pick. Uh, which I don't think anybody would have foreseen, but he's he's very telegenic, very colorful, very friendly, affable, personable, uh, lovely guy. I really have nothing against him personally. I just I am a bit concerned about the tenor of what's coming so what's come so far. How so? Well, I, like I said, like I said, I I find people are like, oh, he'll be a great answer to Trudeau, and to what I don't think basically running Trudeau is a great answer to Trudeau. I think it is. I, I really don't. I, I am a big fan of the fight fire with fire theory of politics here, where, not, not to get too far off track, but you're going to have a lot of, uh, by the end of Trudeau's reign, you're going to have a lot of youth, progressive uh, progressive. You're going to be pissed off. Yeah. You're going to be pissed off, and they're going to look for something that yeah. looks familiar to them. Uh, and their familiar face, in terms of left-wing politics, these are people, you know, are anti-pipeline, who are pro-electoral reform, and they voted for Trudeau, maybe for the first time ever, and they like the selfie premium, or the selfie On the other minister. hand, though, right? Like and so look, they're going to flock. They're going to flock to Harjeet. If you Or Jagmeet. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, if you, that's it, yeah, maybe. On the other hand, uh, I think with the right set of ideas, uh, the messenger doesn't matter quite as much, and I think there's been an ooh, over ooh. an over focus on the messenger as opposed to the message. Well, let, let's spoken look. like an ivory tower academic. No, but spoken like someone who watched the the Bernie Sanders primary campaign. Right, you have a lot of people who were very in love with the well spoken, uh, articulate Obama image of you know like class and everything. Like Obama was classy as hell, right? Like, and then you know, flocked to support a rumpled 74-year-old Vermont socialist, right? In but, pretty big numbers. Like, millennial support for Bernie was, like, disproportionate. Like To use your analogy, though, in this case, Jagmeet is Obama. Yes. And no one is Bernie. There is not a candidate that's... Eh. Who, who's your Bernie? I think Charlie's probably the closest. Charlie's your Bernie, eh? Well, dude, have you, like, Bernie... 
that is one note when it comes to his presentation. It's a good note, but it's one note, right? Uh, I think Charlie does that note pretty well, actually. So, sorry, we'll back up a little bit here. Charlie Angus is a Northern Ontario MP. Uh, long track record of, of, you know, poverty issues, uh, Aboriginal issues especially. He's been a really good voice on. Uh, I personally have a lot of respect for the guy. I th- he's currently who I'm leaning towards supporting and, and you know, helping out on his campaign. Uh, I think he speaks to a lot of the, the concerns I've had about where the party's going. Uh, focusing on organizing at the grassroots level and on having a coherent economic message that speaks to people and, you know, the importance of storytelling and politics, which I think is really critical. Um, so personally, to me, that that's like the kind of message that is going to be more resonant than, you know, more sort of like selfie air war kind of thing. But, you know, we'll see, I guess. But I, I do suspect that um, Jagmeet has a very, very good shot of winning this leadership if he wants to. Well, I mean, I think it's all but confirmed that uh, Jagmeet will run. Oh, he's going to run, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone is really questioning yeah. that at this point. He, he's running. Um, I I would put my money with him. I'm putting my money with him in terms of uh, if I were to place a bet, it would be on Jagmeet. That but, doesn't seem unwise to me. There are also some other candidates. Uh, Nikki Ashton, who ran last time, is running again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan. Um, she's a... She's a daughter of a Manitoba MP who's done some really, or uh, MLA, sorry, former Manitoba MLA, who's done some really good work, admittedly, on youth and precarity issues. Uh, So good for her. I honestly respect that immensely. She's done very good work on that. Uh, She is an awful communicator. She is. One of the biggest things that stands out to me and sort of sums up her... I don't know, her stance on things or her personality. I think Elbowgate was probably, yeah. She was the first time she was in the national consciousness and she really put her foot in it. So, to explain this, Elbowgate (laughs) happened, Justin Trudeau threw an elbow and hit Ruth Lane Brasso in the chest, and shortly after, Nikki Ashton is standing up saying, I don't feel safe in, like, this is roughly paraphrased, but I don't feel safe in my workplace, like, this was, like, domestic... Yeah, or, or yeah, or like, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Violence against women, like thing, we're saying these sort of exaggerated statements along these lines. Basically, really that, overplayed the hand. Wait. Yeah, and but calling it the hand is even cynical to to say this was like a political claim as opposed to, you know, this was her actual feeling on the matter, which yeah. I think probably was should be should be something you take heed on yeah. if this is someone's reaction. To an inadvertent situation. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the Elbowgate thing, I don't want to relitigate Elbowgate. That was really bad. I do I mean, want like... to relitigate Elbowgate. <laughs> I mean, the Prime Minister, like, strolling across the floor to manhandle a house leader is, like, I, I don't, not I don't great, disagree. But... I don't disagree. No, but, like, the, the hit on, on Brousseau was totally accidental. Like, I don't... Let's not get too into this. But, uh, yeah, like, Nikki Ashton's reaction was... was I think her first public exposure to many, many Canadians and that she had to run last time for the NDP leadership had not done terribly well. I mean, done quite well for someone of her age and stature. She's fairly young in her, her, I think, early 30s. And uh, at that point, hadn't uh, really, you know, emerged too much on the national consciousness. This was really her first brush with, with the national platform and I think did not come out looking very good for it. No, I think she, like, from the political angle, I think her... Over the top stance that was very quickly like criticized yeah. by anyone. Yeah, and I think average Canadians looked at Justin Trudeau's actions and didn't see malice. Yeah, um, it, which is what she yeah. tried to insinuate yeah. in the actions, in my opinion. Um, that seems fair. So I think she hastened the demise of Elmo as 
of Elbowgate, Elbowgate in the uh, political consciousness. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it didn't seem like a well, credible response. Well, that's what I'm. The... That's what I mean by overplayed her hand. Yeah, in the sense that like you know they had a good like. You know, jab set up and totally whiffed it. Anyway, yeah, not to. So I, I hate that issue. I hate that stupid thing so much. Elbow gate, goddamn it! Uh, I was hoping we'd never have to talk about it. Yeah, here we are. We're reloading getting that. Uh, so also, a couple other people are thinking about running too. Guy Capon, who was a yeah. finance critic, I think, uh, among other yeah. things. He's an economics guy. He had been an, uh, an economist for a union. I don't remember which one. Uh, Quebec guy, obviously. Uh, his English is so so. How do you go up, Boris? <laughs> Bulges. Oh, uh, yeah, he's not Bulges. He's not running. No? No. Okay. Yeah. Didn't want to bring the communist ideals back to the No, UDP. unfortunately, yeah. Uh, no, the thing with that, he's not Bulges. Nice guy and everything, but, like, people are kind of like, is he a federalist? I don't know. <laughs> um, which is... When that's, a, when that's a question mark... A little touchy, yeah. There's always, uh, especially, there's always some hesitation about for you. Especially in the NDP. That said, though, it's really not on the radar right now. Quebec issues, uh constitutional issues it always will be it always comes back it always comes back yeah Uh, i I did my master's thesis on uh, quebec constitution so i mean some of the conservative candidates might not speak french but some of the uh ndp candidates might not believe in canada as it currently exists yeah so you know take your pick right (laughs) pick your poison (laughs) yeah uh i feel like we're missing someone uh abby lewis abby lewis is not running uh any any other do you want to make a comment on uh, the leap man, the leapers? I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. So people like I when the leap manifesto came out, um, it was right in the middle of the uh, election yes, campaign. It was. It well, was, not the election campaign. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, trust me, I remember this. <laughs> it did, was. Uh, did the leap come out during the NDP conference? No. No, 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 no. They they announced oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. They announced the whole thing and, like, released it in the middle of the election campaign. And then they lost, and then it got debated at the, at at the convention. convention. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and remember hashtag communist manifesto? Yes. Yeah, there fair. you go. There you go. Yeah, so this was uh, something that... It, the Leap Manifesto basically is, is the idea that, like, we, we need to make a bold leap away from, from uh, carbon and capitalism, which, like... Common sense. Yeah, we're, you know, we're like, leaping away from many things here. I, I, there's a lot in there that is like not crazy in the sense that like we are going to need to like use a lot less carbon in there's, the fairly near future, and that like a lot in there that is crazy. Cap- capitalism does kind of suck, um, but on on the crazier side of things. Yeah, yeah. Take take your pick, but um, fave fave for Etienne, retweet for Laurent on that. <laughs> Um, you lost. Uh, you lost the last battle on this. Oh, that's true. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, the thing is with, with the whole leap manifesto is that it was like pitched precisely wrong, in the sense that it was like the product of like some very downtown Toronto people and came off as incredibly downtown Toronto, which is to say it had like very little concern for working people. Uh, and actually, you know, the, this to segue into like broader. I was actually in Toronto last weekend for the first time. Um, I've had a conference, lefty conference for for organizers. Uh, that's my day job. Um, and I was really struck by how very little outside of Toronto seems to exist of Torontonians. Uh, so I can see how the Leap Manifesto happened in the sense that like everyone around them probably was like, "Oh yeah, this is great," and. Uh, and you get the sort of uh, document that comes from that sort of approach. Not to attack Toronto, 
Beautiful place. It kind of sucks. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps my favorite story of a Torontonian, this is a complete aside, is when I was I was doing my semester abroad, as everyone everyone has to do. Yeah. And I was in Italy, uh, in Rome specifically, and I sat down at a table with a bunch of Australians, and they're all like, oh, there's another Canadian, you should meet her. And I sit, sit down next to her, and like we ex- exchange pleasantries. All of a sudden, we're, uh, she's like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, Fort McMurray. She's like, it must not be important, I've never heard of it. That's very Toronto. Like, <laughs> well, we're off to being fast friends. Yeah, that's a good start. Jesus Christ. And then shortly later, she was claiming that in Canada, it gets so cold, your tires turn square. I was like... That's not true. That's, I mean, that's like Flintstones. That's not a thing. And she's like, oh, it must not get cold where you're from. And all. It does get pretty cold in Fort Mac. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. You, you can't compare Northern Alberta to Toronto. Also, here. I'm sorry. Yeah, when I was in Toronto, there was no snow on the ground. It was like six degrees. Like, okay, come on. Um, yeah, seriously. Um, okay, so that's enough bashing on Toronto. Uh, as much as I, I could do that all day. Uh, we do want to wrap up with a little talk about uh, Mary Dawson, our, our old friend, the Conflict of Interest Commissioner. Yeah, we alluded to this earlier. So Mary Dawson uh, put a letter in the mail, as, uh, as every good government official does, to Andrew Scheer, uh, saying that she would be investigating Trudeau under the Conflict of Interest. Code. Oh. Which is really interesting because we were like, okay, there's a there's a slam dunk thing on the act, and I think that is being handled. It's in the sense that she doesn't really need to investigate it. But uh, uh, she no, she will be investigating. You have to do an investigation, right? right, right, right. Just just like yeah. it's, it's never a slam dunk murder Routine, case without yeah. it. Um, but her pronouncement on that hasn't been made publicly yet. Right. So there was a letter sent by Andrew Shear on the code, and there was a letter sent by Blaine Calkins, another conservative MP, on the act. On the act. Okay. And Blaine Calkins, as of recording, to my knowledge, hasn't heard back about his letter. But Andrew Shear got a response saying that uh, Mary Dawson was commencing an investigation and had had an interview with Trudeau, but was looking forward to digging deeper on it. Right. Well, I think the the text of the letter was like she had interviewed the prime minister, and be, as a result of the interview, thought there was like sufficient grounds for an investigation. Yes. So it's interesting because we sort of thought that he was clear by the code. Because so. Our understand not our understanding, our interpretation of the code was that a although friendship and friends is never explicitly laid out in the yeah. code, there's a like loophole. it would it would constitute a reasonable defense yeah. against the allegation right. of perceived uh, attempts to influence right. or some, right. something yep, along those exactly lines. Exactly that. Yeah. Um and that's Evidently not the case. She she perhaps she seems to think doesn't, grounds, doesn't yeah. share that interpretation. And I think there it's the problem that uh, he or his foundation does business with the government. I think maybe the problem in the sense that if you were your your average run of the mill billionaire, uh, this would not be an immense problem. Uh, but because of this, I all honestly those, all those billionaires that yeah. don't have you know influencer stakes in government decisions, of course, yes, the, are rather limited. The the self made you the, know the type of billionaire who exists only in econ one hundred and one textbooks, right? Exactly. Uh, econ one hundred and one is one of the most pernicious myths inflicted upon mankind. You all know a Awful. guilty guilty secret of mine. I've never taken an economics course. Took two. Yeah, not a single one. That's a shame. I have go. some books you can borrow. Uh, <laughs> you may not like my books, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're. What are you referring to? Conversion therapy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I almost bought a set of Marxist Capital today, actually. Anyway, um, I think that'll wrap up for this week. We're, we're, we're touched short, and apologies for the delay. Etienne got stuck in the snow. 
Yeah, um, my three-hour drive became a six-hour drive. Yeah, that will happen. Um, tomorrow, actually, or this week, we're tomorrow we're recording an interview with a, with our special guest for next week's episode. It'll be a lot of fun. Colorful guest. I was going to say, are, are we just alluding to it? We yes, need... we're going to allude. I yes. think we'll probably publish that one on Saturday. That sounds we'll about reasonable. Next episode. Yeah. Try and space things out. Yeah, oh, that sounds about reasonable. Uh, as per usual, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. We actually show up now. Like, we have enough ratings to, to show yeah, up, which is awesome. Six ratings. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at ABATN, at Laurent Carr. I've unlocked my Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah. at Short Pants Pod for the, the podcast itself. Yeah, most mostly follow that one. I'm an incredibly lame Twitter. Yeah, he like barely is. I, on the other hand, tons of fun on Twitter. So, <laughs> um, anything else you want to add, Jen? No, that about uh, that about wraps it up for me. All right, excellent. Well, thanks so much for listening once again, uh, and we'll we'll go back to the content mines to get you some hot, fresh content for the weekend. Yeah. Adios, folks. Yesterday, the president set had a incredibly productive set of meetings and discussions with Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada.